We're just listening to the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. great number of prescriptions that are prescribed in our memory and in our culture, already pre-programmed. One can't say whatever one wants. One is obliged, more or less, to reproduce the stereotypical discourse. That's from an interview with Derrida. Oh, nice. Well, uh, everybody, welcome to the House of Mercy Sunday service. So glad that you found us or sat down with your cup of tea to participate in this uh, service. Yeah. Hey, you know what it is? Uh, It is time for to begin our annual pledge drive, which we are really awkward at at the best of times. So uh, we've been a little out to sea on this, but... um, yeah. Yeah, it's not our favorite thing to do, but got to do it. So, you know, it's actually been, it's been 10 months since we last met in person. Um, but we have done a lot together since then. We, we've we continued to do what House of Mercy does, art, music, you know, we do the best theology we can. Um, and yeah, we're still being House of Mercy, even though the situation's been a little bit different. Right, because obviously a lot has happened over this last year, but we have, uh, we have, we have continued to be the community uh, as much as we can. And uh, going into this next year, we are kind of, kind of settle in to uh, finding better ways to be community together, given this uh, current pandemic living. Because yeah, we kept, we kept thinking that, oh, this won't last that long, we'll get together, but now we kind of know it's going to be a while. Yeah, and so uh, what we've d- included in our uh, pledge letter, introducing our pledge uh, campaign for the year, is we've attached a survey to it. It's very short. I think there's five questions or something like that, which kind of um, ask for your input about how House of Mercy has functioned as a community in the ways that we've kind of um, tried to come together and have come together. And so what has worked about that for you and maybe ideas what you have uh, better ways to feel community? Yeah, we'd love to hear hear from you. Yeah. So, yeah. And, that, and, you can, and there's a place where you can hit pledge and pledge, right? Russell? Absolutely. Yep, you can go and pledge. And so, if you if you have uh, if you have not pledged before, you can just um, select that if on the kind of the newsletter, or go to the website houseofmercy.org, and uh, you can hit donate, and you can set up a pledge, and uh, or you can go there and increase your pre- pledge, and uh, maybe you, and renew your pledge as well. So. We thank you so much for even in these times when they're so hard for so many people that you've continued to support House of Mercy and that we have been continued to um, operate and like live out the the mercy. Yeah, so grateful for you. Oh, 
This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Won't you please join me in the prayer of invocation? God of mercy, God of the beginning, of becoming alive, the word saying, speaking life into the world. Here at the new year, we invoke you. Hear our prayer, enlighten us to the ubiquity of your presence. Fill us with the confidence of light and the light of your spirit, which both leads us and contains us. It is okay to risk hope and to expect goodness, though it is not easy. Word of God, compel us. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ be with you all, and also with you. Please share the sign of peace with those gathered with you, and the blessing of peace for those not present, but who come to mind. Please join me now in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, while the turning of the calendar year is in many ways for us an arbitrary marker of what is new, but it is built on the custom of peoples in the dead of winter 
needing, if not feeling, the beginning of the possibility of new life as the light of each day grows longer. It is time for us to reflect and to resolve to live with intention, not to act in ways that we might measure up or somehow be better, but to remind ourselves of our desire to live out the radical mercy, radical inclusion, and gratitude we're called to. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, as this year begins, let it begin for us in gratitude that we may be as thankful for all that is possible to be thankful for in the last year, even if it is only that is over. And let us look forward with all possibility that life can be filled with light that enlightens everyone, a life that cannot be consumed by the darkness. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in power, that they would properly understand their charge to serve, to regard first and fully those with the least power, with the greatest need. Overwhelm them with the possibility of primitive compassion and essential obligation and help us to set aside all bile and vitriol fomented by frustration and sadness so that we too might find new ways to love our neighbor. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all the nurses and police officers and doctors and bite squad drivers and grocery store baggers and continuing protesters for all those who must risk exposure to illness to help the rest of us live life every day in this pandemic who act to keep us safe, who care for the people we love, who birth our babies, who save our lives and keep us sane. Give them an extra portion of peace and a Holy Spirit level of immune system boost. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those people in our lives and who pass through our lives who are in need of physical, emotional, or spiritual healing. We pray for those who are fighting the coronavirus. We pray for those who are living with cancer and other serious illnesses in this chaotic time. We pray for those who we love who are dying. Give them every measure of peace and a palpable love. We pray for those who mourn the death of a dear one. We pray for those of us whose mental illness is magnified by this time of isolation. We pray for those who are facing these troubled times in prison. And we pray for those who are imprisoned by addictions. We pray for those who are profoundly lonely. For all of these we ask, bless them, take them in your arms, hold them to you, give them what they need, healing, grace, understanding, acceptance, or peace. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence.
May your awareness, may our awareness of your presence never leave us. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Imagine if you were like a pioneer in North Dakota on January 3rd, but in like 1873, before TV and radio, obviously, because you're a pioneer, like giants in the earth. And you didn't even have any books because you had to choose very carefully what you loaded on the wagon before you left New York. And you're in your little sod cabin, there's a howling blizzard outside, and all you hear for hours and hours and hours is the sound of the wind and maybe the sound of the fire when you open the wood stove and the sound of you buttering a pan. And then finally, just before dark, your husband comes in after rounding up the cows and he speaks a word. Hello, honey. Or whatever a pioneer might say. And it's the first word from outside of your head you've come into contact with all day. If you were a pioneer in North Dakota in 1873 and words were rare, or, or the writer of John in 100 AD and the Logos was a meaningful thing to say, then in the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God might seem like something momentous to say. The word, something precious, full of a depth of meaning, something beautiful and warm on a cold and silent night. But we have 
computers attached to our hands. People often have three conversations going at once, talking to a colleague while writing an email. Then you get a text from your daughter and you respond. How long after you wake up before you look at your phone? Whenever, it's like, presto, hundreds of words. No, way more than hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know, an avalanche of words. In extraordinary hour-long call, Trump pressures Georgia's Secretary of State to recalculate the vote in his favor. Coughing, sneezing, vomiting, visibly ill people aren't being kept off planes. Pierre Cardin has died. Viewers didn't care about good TV and bad TV in 2020. Maybe the distinctions never mattered. Joe Biden has had it up to here with Trump's malarkey. Pro-Trump pollsters quote Stalin to persuade Mike Pence to act like him. Sometimes I feel suffocated by this avalanche of words before breakfast. People speak without saying anything. We're saying the same thing over and over again. You be you. It's all good. Words are so often the opposite of elucidating. They conceal more than they reveal. This isn't new to 2020. Yeah, Trump's daily coronavirus briefings, but political speeches always, forever, administrators, officials, alumni magazines... Still, who hasn't vowed sometime in 2020 to turn off the incessant flow of words? They seem unhealthy. We suffer from an excess of information available at our fingertips all the time. I don't need to know what Mitch McConnell said this morning, what the tyrant tweeted that Jerry is eating a chocolate chip waffle with jalapeno bacon, anything about the Kardashians ever. There was a time when you got one newspaper and like two periodicals. And it wasn't hard not to turn on the TV, but it's hard not to look at your phone. We don't live in the little house on the prairie or the first century. We have access to 10,000 words every instant. Mostly repetitive, often vacuous, not usually containers of truth and beauty. The word was with God. Might be better to have a crusty loaf of bread, a bottle of red, some nice French cheese with you. A word is a combination of sounds arbitrarily assigned to signify something, and and that signifier has a shaky relationship to the signified. There's no truth or meaning inherent in a word. They're problematic unreliable, starting to feel a little cheap these days, maybe necessary but not precious. Peace, they print it on t-shirts at Anthropology. Transformation, it's a website for Bill Phillips' fitness nutritional supplements. The word was God. That doesn't immediately make me feel like I'm drinking at the well of joy as we inch forward into the year after 2020. Because, you know, if on the one hand the word is flimsy-ish, on the other hand, not on the bright side, just the other hand, the word is actually powerful, like a dictator. It dictates reality. We're taught a language which 
determines our reality, our experiences of the world, without our ever having a chance to discover it differently. Without ever choosing it, words shape us, dictate what we can even think about. From the moment you learn to speak, you're conscripted into a limitation, really. False dualisms, good, bad, black, white, boy, girl, why not boot or white or burl? We receive a language when we're just helpless babies, and it tyrannizes our thoughts. Rigid dualisms, not the truth. You can't really express whatever you want. You're obliged, more or less, to reproduce the stereotypical discourse. We are pre-programmed to speak the schemas that are already there. And have these schemas been helpful? Black, white? Us, them, it's all over the place, like an infection suppressing our capacity for empathy, compassion, love, whatever those signifiers mean. And of course, it's the people in power who impose their language. The colonialists, a most obvious example, imposed their language on the people they colonized. The ruling class makes the oppressed class learn its language in order to turn the oppressed into prisoners of their ideology to prevent them from thinking differently. It's like we're conditioned in this sort of insidious way to agree with the dominant ideology. English? Oh my gosh. Do you know how many languages used to be spoken in the Americas? Thousands. There were thousands of different ways to express thousands of different experiences, wiped out by European settlers, colonialists, conquistadors. What kind of reality did did Powhatan create, Tillamook? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure it was different than the European invaders' reality. The word... Language is an instrument of social control. More destructive, potentially, even than the police or censorship, because it's internalized. An element of control anchored in the unconscious. Lodged there in an age when we can't even react or protest. We ingest this dictator before we're even completely conscious. We can't speak without reflecting the dominant ideology. The word was with God. The word was God. That could seem not so wonderful if you're thinking dictator. If God is like this power exerting control, desiring dominance, Tyrant who wants to keep us prisoners to one way of thought, suppress difference, prevent us from thinking any other thoughts besides the thoughts God somehow imposes on us, as if God wanted to keep us prisoner to God's ideology. I mean, people have been telling that sort of story about God for a long time. People tell that story about God every day. As if that's what God means, what God is, a powerful deity that demands subjugation. 
It's hard to even tell a different story when you start out with the word God. But the author of John is definitely up for trying to tell a very different story. All things came into being, came into being through this word. All things. And when you look back at Genesis, which the author means to do, that's quite a diversity of things. Light and darkness, water, sky, the moon, the earth, the sun, planets, stars, plant yielding seeds of every kind, trees of every kind, sea monsters, every living creature that moves and swarms and flies, creeping things, wild animals. That's a lot of life. God sees it all and says it is good, really good, loves it. This tremendous diversity of life of every kind. And God says to God's beloveds, be fruitful and multiply, not contract, conceal, limit, stay rigid, right, square, straight, only this one thing, not cutting off some to benefit others, all, everything, all things, flourishing, blossoming. Through this word, this generative, loving word, all things came into being. The word of God isn't a dictator, dictator anchored in our unconscious, limiting and cutting off, but rather the creator of life, life and more life, anchored in our souls somehow. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. But when the word came, the people didn't recognize it, the author tells us in his first chapter. Maybe because it was so unlike what they'd become accustomed to, unlike what they thought they knew about gods or, or about themselves. Like it's hard to see, maybe, that you were created by a lover out of love, or that they were, the others. But this word didn't subject their thoughts to its control. They didn't recognize it. They rejected it. But it didn't round up the rejectors to put them in re-education camps or tyrannize their consciousness or do violence in any way at all. Rather, it ends up being the recipient of their violence. So they'll know for sure that God is not out to get them or those us, them, all to try to free them, us, all the beloveds, to know, to believe they are made in, from, for, love. To become more and more fully awake, alive to this. It's hard to tell the story of God. That's not about what humanity expects from a deity the sort of power and glory that desires domination, insists on admiration, but the writer of the Gospel of John's going to try really hard. He doesn't tell the story of an all-powerful tyrant. He looks for a way to describe this word. John doesn't say it's like dynamite, dynamite or thunder or lightning. 
John's fishing around trying to figure out how to describe this word, and he says it was like white. He also says it's like water when you're thirsty. It's like bread when you're hungry. How do you hear that? Light, water, bread. With your eyes and your mouth and your hands and your tongue. God doesn't remain silent. The word becomes flesh, John says. That's kind of a crazy thing to say. The word isn't just a sound that reverberates in your ear. It has hands and feet and ears and a heart. It moved and lived and breathed and died. It it went into the grave and began to decay and then got back up and lived some more. All to show love, forgiveness, mercy. Sorry about the inadequate signifiers. All about figuring out a way to help us recognize it. Which might be a tricky thing to make known, I guess. The word dwells among us full of grace and truth, not like a dictator at all, but like the creator of life, undoing the tyrannizing dominant ideology, the domination ideology, freeing our imaginations rather than constricting them. It's not a word that eliminated uncertainty. It's not a word that gives absolute clarity, but a giver of life abundantly, something so lively and so loving that all the words we have quite, quite, all the words we have can't quite capture it. And not because it's so big and so great and so powerful. Those words are dumb practically for what it is. It doesn't dominate and enslave. The author of John can't talk enough about how it frees us. Maybe we've unwittingly swallowed and ingested the dictator. But we have the opportunity to eat and drink freedom. May eating it give us new ways to conceive grace upon grace upon grace this year. New mercies never ending. Maybe start the new year by giving yourself communion. Get some bread, crackers, a sandwich, it doesn't really matter. Wine, grape juice, or whatever you have in your car. When Russell says the words, just say them yourself. Bless it, eat it, and may it become the bread of life in you. This is God's table, and all are welcome. You may serve one another communion during the closing hymn. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, broke it, and gave thanks, saying, This is my body, given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, After the meal, he took the cup and said, This is my blood 
poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. mercy of our Creator move you and move with you through the days until we gather again. Amen. <laughs>